12, 1 through 6. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page number 489 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is the Word of God. How many of you are like us and you just really love the Thanksgiving season? We just, it, it really is probably our f- most favoritest time of the year. It's like all the other holidays got stolen, but this one is one that still focuses on Thanksgiving. Although when I watch you know, football on Thursday, or when I listen to newscasters talk about Thanksgiving, or just read about Thanksgiving, generally Thanksgiving is spoken of without an object. Simply, we are thankful. We're thankful for, but not necessarily to whom. To whom? To whom do you give thanks for a beautiful sunset? To whom do you give thanks for the gift of health? To whom do you give thanks for the family into which you were born and which God has allowed. What you, oh, there, I gave it away already, didn't I? It's all about God, isn't it? And one of the things that we can do this Thanksgiving season is to learn how to give thanks and to be a people who give thanks uh, and, and, and remember who it is to whom we give thanks. And so we have this song of thanksgiving in the book of Isaiah. Now, I hope you've been reading the book of Isaiah with us through our Daily Bread Project. Isaiah is a daunting book. Excuse me. Isaiah is a daunting book. It is a brilliant book. Many think of it as sort of the Mount Everest of Old Testament theology, the Mount Everest of of, uh, of spiritual reflection on the nature of God and what God is about. Many have thought of it as the gospel in the Old Testament. It is a massive, beautiful, uh, exquisitely written book. Uh, And yet, like Shakespeare, it can be something of a closed book, even to Christians. And some of you may have found that even as you are reading through it. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at this 12th chapter of Isaiah, but I want to use it as something of a means by which we can take a look at a little bit more of the Isaiah story. Isaiah was a prophet in the 8th 8th century uh, B.C., and he prophesied 
just before the demise of Israel. And prophets were not so much writers as they were talkers. They were speakers. They told forth the truth. And then later their, their words were collected. And so often the prophecies are not written in what we might call a linear fashion. They kind of cycle around themselves. And one commentator speaks about the book of Isaiah as if it is a mosaic or a collage. Have you ever seen a mosaic or a collage? A mosaic or a collage is something which paints a very large picture by using rather disparate kinds of things in the middle of it. You know what I'm saying? You put the, you were in, when you were a kid in art class, you'd make these collages, put all these things together. Each one is individual, and yet when you put... That's the best sound I've heard all morning, huh? Yeah. Um, the... Uh, 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 the, the, a beautiful picture is created. Or perhaps you've seen these collages that are, that are made out of individual pictures of faces. And you look at them. Each of them is a, a, a picture of a person themselves. But large together, it makes one large different picture. That's a little bit how, how Isaiah works. So I won't talk to you about the, the whole book today. But I want you to see something here about this uh, call to thanksgiving in the 12th chapter, and to see it in the context of what Isaiah has been doing in the immediate chapters prior to it. So the call to thanksgiving is in the context of a larger story. So we're going to take one piece of that collage, chapters uh, 9, I'm going to go from 9 through 12, and we're going to look at that collage and see then how it fits into the bigger picture. So there's two things I want to talk to you about. You can jot them down if you notice. Know Number one, we want to talk, first of all, the, about the context of Isaiah's song of thanksgiving. The, the context of Isaiah's Song of Thanksgiving. Ruth read for you the song itself. But what is some of the context? And this is another reason why I highly recommend that if you have one, you bring a Bible to church because I will refer to a few chapters prior to it. I never have the room to print everything for you. The context of Isaiah's Song of Thanksgiving is that Isaiah is putting this at the end of a story which he is telling where he is uh, castigating the people for their disobedience against God. And so there are various things that we note. First of all, he talks in chapter 9, verses 8 through, uh, through 10, verse 4, uh, about Israel's disobedience. He began, and I'll just tell you a little bit of summary. You can look at it up later. I'm giving the references, but you can look at it up. Isaiah now recites their own history focusing on the demise of, of the northern kingdom of Israel or, or Ephraim. And he says there in the ninth chapter that these people had decided that they would ignore the voice of the Lord and instead they would follow their own best wisdom. That's why it says in the chapter 9 and verse 8, the Lord has sent a word against Jacob and it will fall on Israel. Though it's talking about the northern kingdom. And all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. Bad things had happened. The word of the Lord had come to them, but they ignored the word of the Lord, and they thought that in their own strength they could fix what was wrong with their country with their world, with their lives. And that really is the essence of the human problem. We all know that something's wrong, but we all want to think that we can fix it. But the word of the Lord is that you can't fix what's fundamentally wrong. I must fix it for you. So Isaiah is saying to them, you have rejected the word of the Lord, and they've instead embraced self-dependence. And then in verses 8 to 12 of that section, he speaks about the national disaster which had happened because of their 
pride and arrogance. They had had six kings in 20 years. Four had died by assassination. Only one was through a family succession. They were looking for external political answers to their spiritual problems. The root of their problems were spiritual, not political, and yet they were so sure, and it led to national national disaster. That then ultimately led in verses 13 to 17 of chapter 9 to political collapse. There was corrupt leadership and moral decay among their people and among those in power. The, the leaders were not leaders. They were misleaders. They were leading astray. You can see that in that text. Their leadership uh, uh, under God was not leading uh, with character in the way that God wanted them to lead, and they had misled the people. A political collapse began to happen. And ultimately then in verses 18 to 21 of chapter 9, we see kind of a social anarchy that's taking place. Every man for himself, everyone doing just what pleased themselves. They didn't care about the, uh, uh, the rest of the world. It says wickedness there burns like a fire. They slice meat on the right, but they're still hungry. They devour on the left and are not satisfied. No, that's not talking about the political right and the political left, but you might want to put that in if you like. The reality says they slice meat on the right, but they're still hungry. In other words, they're doing all this stuff, but it's not really satisfying their deepest needs. They, uh, uh, they, they devour on the left, but they're not satisfied. And, and so the consequence is that they are devouring one another. Verse 20, um, uh, each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim. Ephraim devours Amasa. Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. This is a nation at war with itself. That's what he's talking about. And uh, I know this poetry is a little tough, but uh, I can't take time to teach you a whole Bible study on this, but I just want you to see the general idea. He's speaking about that, and he's uh, and then that then leads to injustice in the way that the 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 the, the laws are made in their country. Verse uh, chapter ten it says, "Woe to those who decree and iniquitous decrees and writers who keep writing oppression, who turn aside the needy." from justice and rob the poor of my people of their right. Their widows may be their spoil, and they make the fatherless their their prey. You see, laws have been made to benefit myself, iniquitous laws, to benefit the powerful, the needy are deprived of justice. The fatherless and the widows are preyed upon. There is tremendous havoc that Isaiah sees in the northern kingdom. Good thing it's not like that for us anymore, right? <laughs> right? Tremendous havoc. Into this context in chapter 10 and verse 5, we see that the second thing that God is saying to them is He's going to bring judgment. There had been disobedience. That was the first. And second, there is now going to be judgment in verse 5. And God now begins to bring judgment on Israel, and He uses the nation of Assyria to do it. Oh, I wish I could talk about these next 10 verses more in depth, but I just can't. What's happening is that God is taking his people who are astray and he's using an evil country in order to bring discipline to his own people. That evil country has its own ends, its own design, its own agenda. It thinks it's on its own, but really it's being wielded by God, and it will ultimately become judged by God for its own disobedience. But in the meantime, God is using that country to, to, to bring judgment to His own beloved people. 
Yes, Israel, it says in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 10, excuse me, Assyria is a tool in God's hand. But Assyria does not know it is serving God's purposes in bringing judgment to Israel. It thinks it is working in its own power, verses 7 through 11. Now, once God is finished with Assyria, God will judge them for their arrogance. But now, God is using Assyria in order to teach his own people a lesson. And ultimately, what happened is that not long after Isaiah wrote this prophecy, indeed, Assyria did come in and tear apart the kingdom. This is not the southern kingdom, but the northern kingdom in around 722 uh, 722 B.C. There was judgment. This is all preceding the song of thanksgiving. Doesn't sound very happy yet, does it? There's rampant disobedience. God will bring judgment and justice into that. But in chapter Chapter 10 and verse 20, we see that the third phase of God's work in Israel is going to be a phase of, of mercy. So we had disobedience, judgment, and then mercy, beginning with the 20th, the 20th verse of there. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, that's Assyria, but will lean on the Lord the Holy One of Israel, in truth. Verse 21, a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the, to the mighty God. For though your people be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will, will return. God will bring mercy to the people who He has judged. A remnant will survive the judgment. And it gets even better than that because while it says that the remnant will return, and again, Isaiah is predicting something which hasn't yet happened, but in fact it did. Um, the remnant will return. God has an even brighter future for his people. Someday we learn at the end of this chapter 10, a new king will come, and there will be the glorious renewal of all things. And so we see the fourth thing, hope and renewal, disobedience, judgment, mercy, and then finally hope and renewal in this magnificent chapter 11. Beautiful chapter, which then is the, the immediate thing which gets said before the 12th chapter of Thanksgiving. What does he say in chapter 11? He says, from the stump, uh, excuse me, there, there, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. What he's talking about is that Israel has been cut down. There's nothing really left, but out of that stump, will grow a new shoot. Out of that judgment will come something utterly brand new. A new king will, a new tree will arise. And in fact, we will see as we read this 11th chapter that a new king emerges. This king will be filled with the Spirit of the Lord, and he shall delight to do the Lord's will. This king is not like the kings that were judged before. This is a king and notice what it says as it continues. I know a lot of you don't have Bibles, so listen to some of these beautiful words. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear, that is by hearsay, but with righteousness he will judge the poor. 
and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And, and he shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Ultimately, he says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw with the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Guess who Isaiah was talking about? He was talking about Jesus. He probably never knew it. But out of the root of Jesse came out a stump, a man who was born out of his line. And this would become the ultimate faithful Israelite, Jesus himself, who would rule with justice and mercy and would, be, and would follow after God's will, not listening to the popular opinion around him. It says he will judge rightly. He will see that the poor are treated fairly and, and not taken advantage of. He will reign, it says, in righteousness and faithfulness. Under this king's rule, peace will reign. Even animals will no longer be predators to one another. The world will return to its blissful state like Eden, perfectly safe, perfectly harmonious, filled with shalom. But it will not simply be the nation of Israel who will benefit from this. From the four corners of the earth, it goes on to say, God will call people to himself. All nations will be invited to share in this rest. Peace will reign over the, the whole earth. All enmities will be set aside. It's a beautiful picture of what God is going to do. And this is the background to Isaiah 12, that great song of thanksgiving. It is a picture of an incredible hope. It is a picture of hope against all odds, against the backdrop of absolute despair. The people of God were disobedient. Their rulers were corrupt. God would bring judgment, but its purpose was not to destroy but to renew the fires of judgment will burn away the chaff, but something new will emerge from its ashes, and it will be even better than the past. As I thought about this, I couldn't help but think about the buffalo chip as I thought of this passage. It was just a year ago on Thursday that our beloved buffalo chip was burned to the ground. Some of you remember that day. I remember it vividly. Many of you can recall what happened, where you were that day. At that time, we had no idea whether or not our beloved home would ever be rebuilt. And I called uh, Larry on the day that it happened and offered to him my condolences for myself and on behalf of our church. He appreciated that. And it wasn't more than an hour or so later that Larry, the owner of the Buffalo Chip, called me back and he said, you know, Steve, there's nothing to stop you guys from still meeting there. Now, keep me about this. This was still a smoldering pile of smoke. 
and he was calling the church that had met here. In the day of his most, one of his most tragic days. <laughs> and he said, you know, there's nothing to stop you guys from meeting here. You meet outdoors anyway. You'll need a generator, but if you're willing to worship here, I just want you to know you're welcome. And so we took it as our own personal responsibility to keep the light on for the buffalo chip, right? And so without fail, from this, during this past 365-day period of time, we've met right here in this neighborhood every Sunday morning through the winter, through the fire, through the summer, and here you are on a beautiful cloudy day in November, right? Yeah. And now if you look, uh, uh, and, and if you look, you see that now a, a new building has emerged here. And uh, I, my daughter came to visit a, a few weeks ago, and she said, oh, Daddy, Oh, Dad, that's the best word in the world, by the way. There's only one person in the world that calls me that. Uh, oh, it looks so magnificent. Well, that was not his word. It looks so good. It looks so much better than the other place did, she said. Uh, I'd forgotten, of course. Uh, and uh, a beautiful structure. And so, and so they've been rebuilt. We were able, after that, to build this beautiful thing. And it's not quite done. But look at how God is bringing something new out of the ashes. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not drawing a parallel between Israel's story and the Phoenix-like story of, uh, of, the, of the demise and rebuilding of the Buffalo Chef. I don't mean that at all. I hope you understand that. I mention it merely as a contemporary illustration of the promise here in Scripture that even though a stump of Israel would remain, that stump, from that stump would emerge a brand new tree and from that tree would emerge a whole new social order. And from that tree would bring blessing not only to Israel, but to the, to the whole world. Out of the ashes, new life would emerge. And the future would be even better than the past. And it was this hope that caused them to say, let us sing a song of thanksgiving to God. And I can't help but think. That in somehow in God's wisdom, when there were people who desired only ill for this area, for this establishment, that God says, oh yeah, watch what I'm going to do, right? That's the way God works. He is never taken aback by the choices that, that we make. And so it was this hope then that caused Isaiah to rejoice in that song of thanksgiving. And so then now let's bring ourselves up to that beautiful song of thanksgiving and look then at the content of Isaiah's song of thanksgiving. And let's just briefly take a look at what Isaiah is saying. It's in that context that he says to these people who at this moment are in the midst of political, social, and moral disarray. He says it's going to get worse before it gets better, but someday it will be better, and you won't even be able to imagine what's going to happen. Then he says in, in chapter 12, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. He will say, and in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in, in all the earth. Shout 
Sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Three quick thoughts, and I close. Three things Isaiah is saying for them to do and for us to do. Number one, place your trust in the God of salvation. Place your trust in the God of salvation. Here we see he says God had saved Israel, and he looks back to the Exodus. There are allusions to the Exodus story all the way throughout this, to their, to their leaving of Egypt, to their crossing of the Red Sea, to their drinking by the, out, of the, out of the water, out of the rock. There are allusions for Isaiah's people of that time to remember that story from their past. And there are predictions about what would happen when God would bring good even out of the judgment which was going to happen. God saves Israel. And then secondly, under this first point, God saves everyone because this went even farther than even Isaiah could have imagined because God was faithful to bring back a remnant, but ultimately out of that remnant came this stump of Jesse, Jesus, as a root out of dry ground who gave his life as a sacrifice for sin so that all could come. This looks forward to the first advent when Jesus came. Yes, God saves everyone, and we can see that some of it still has not been completed yet, that someday the, uh, the, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. There still is an ultimate future fulfillment. And so as we look back, oh, I know I'm trying to rush. He's basically saying to Isaiah, Isaiah to his people, remember your history. God brought us out of Egypt. Remember the water. Remember the song of Miriam by the, by the Red Sea. Remember those things. You're going to sing that song again. And they did. And then we can, he can say to us, Steve and uh, all of you guys, remember what God did on Calvary when God was faithful to his promise, when God brought the root out of Jesse's stump, when Jesus was born, when God accomplished salvation. And so look to the future with joy because as God has been faithful in your past, he will be faithful in your, your future. But this isn't just that God saves Israel and God saves everyone. Most importantly, God saves me. Because the word here, we don't see it in English, but in chapter 12, the word is a personal you, a singular you. In chapter, in verse 3, it's a plural you, you all, y'all, we might say. But in the first verses, it's singular. You, an individual, will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will, tr I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. All of those are singular words. And so I'd say to you, express your thanksgiving to God by placing your personal trust in the God of salvation. Yes, Ultimately, we are a saved community, but we are a saved community who have responded individually to the message of salvation. Have you responded? Or are you just sitting by the side, drinking it in a little bit? Have you made a commitment of your life to Jesus? Has God become your salvation? Has the Lord become your shepherd? Have you responded in faith? That's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, first of all, place your trust in the God of salvation. Number two, draw with joy from the well of salvation. 
Now in verse 3, the you becomes plural. He says, and y'all will draw water from the wells of salvation. And y'all will say in that day, that's a plural. He means it that way. We are saved individually, but we are saved to a community. Our individual song of thanksgiving is joined to the corporate song of thanksgiving, which has happened from that day until this and into the future. And I think joined with the heavenly singers of of, of thanksgiving that are happening in the heavenly places even right now. And here he speaks of the drinking of a well, draw the water from the wells of salvation. And they can't help but be reminded of the wells that God provided for them in the wilderness. Wells are a source of refreshment and of sustenance. We cannot live without water. Jesus said to a woman when he was on this earth, when you drink this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink the water I give you, you will never thirst For the water that I give you will become in you a well of water springing forth into eternal life. Let us draw with joy from the well of salvation. Express your thanksgiving to God by drinking deeply from the wells of living water. That's why things like our Christmas project, our Christmas small groups, our study personal, these are so important because we need to drink from the nourishing waters of spiritual truth so that we won't be filled up with the conventional wisdom that might not be so satisfying. And then the third thing, sing God's praise to all the earth. Sing God's praise to all the earth. It says, sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. And notice this, make His known among all the earth. This message is not just meant for a single person. It's not just meant for a community of faith. It's meant for all the earth. That's what he's saying. Praise is a personal response, a corporate response, and a public responsibility. We want everybody to know the big picture of what God is doing in the world. Yes, often we, are, we get too involved in the ups and downs of world events. We're either too dismayed by what we didn't want to see happen, or we're too ecstatic by what we did want to see happen. We make it out bigger at both ends than it it really is. It is never as bad as we fear or as great as we imagine. It was true in their day, and it's true in our own. The big story of that day was not the political maneuverings of Israel and Assyria, of kings and politicians. They came and they went and they're done with history. The big story of the day was the one which God was writing over against the smaller stories of national and international politics. Israel's disobedience and Assyria's pride would have its consequences, but God would use them both to bring salvation and renewal to His beloved, beautiful broken, rescued creation. One day out of the ruins of Israel, God would bring back a remnant through whom His ultimate purpose of rescue would resume. It happened just as Isaiah said it would. After Israel was defeated and 70 years after Jerusalem was sacked, a remnant returned to the promised land. One day, out of the chopped down stump of Jesse, a new shoot would rise up. It happened, just like Isaiah said it would. A peasant girl named Mary, who had nothing but a pure and obedient heart, would meet an angel. And a forgotten descendant of King David, named Joseph, with nothing but carpenter tools to offer, would have a dream assuring him of the truth of Mary's story, that God had impregnated her with his own beloved son. One, and it happened, just like Isaiah said it would happen. Now, one day, 
perhaps out of the ruins of our arrogant human civilization, God will complete the big story he has been writing ever since the first humans rebelled against him in the garden. It will happen, just like Isaiah said it would. Someday, every wrong will be righted. Someday, every tear will be wiped away. Someday, every thirst will be quenched. Someday, harmony will return to creation, to the animal kingdom, to the human family. Someday, just as Isaiah said it, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Place your trust in this God of salvation. Quench your thirst from this well of salvation. Sing your praise and your thanksgiving to all the earth. Let us give thanks to the God who is writing the story of the ages and is inviting us to be a part of it. Are you ready to give thanks? Let's have prayer. Father, we thank you for being the kind of God who refuses to abandon us, refuses to give up on us. Thank you for even the hard things that we go through, because in the midst of that, you bring out hope. Father, in this Thanksgiving season, we can't help but remember the ultimate reason for which we give thanks, which is when the Son of God stretched out His arms and submitted to our punishment so that He could give to us His life. As we observe the Eucharist, the giving thanks. May we do so with hearts of thanksgiving, for you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. Hallelujah.